Welcome to episode seven of the Behind the Business podcast, the music industry podcast, where I speak to very wise and learned individuals about their roles in the music industry, about their motivations, and about just how the hell they got to where they are. This week, I'm talking with Olivia Hobbs of Blackstar London Marketing. Um, Olivia is a very, very interesting person, someone who I met a few years back through various colleagues and friends whilst living in South London. Um, we met back in June of this year, a very, very warm June of this year, in a cafe in Brixton. So please do be aware that there is some background noise during our conversation. Also, just a warning that of um, a few instances of bad language in this podcast. We just got that into our conversation. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about Olivia leaving Universal and setting up her own business. We talked about her time managing artists about her time at university, as well as the intricacies and her thoughts and, and her feelings and opinions on major record labels. Uh, she's a very insightful person, full of knowledge, full of interest, full of passion for the music business, and that comes out in her work. So enough of me, sit back and listen away to my conversation with Olivia Hobbs. Six months in, you yeah. doing all right? It's not going too badly, yeah. It's a, real, it's a really nice new experience to be doing something by myself rather than doing something within the major label system. Um, I've been in major labels for such a long time and it's a whole new style of working doing it by myself and I'm able to set those limits and rules and I think that being able to be a lot more flexible has been really great basically. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the big question, what made you do it? What made you, what made you branch out on your own? What made me branch out? Yeah. Um, well, the short version is that I got made redundant. Okay. To be honest with you. Yeah. Simple so, as that? Simple as that. So. Um, it's quite a common thing, I think, when you work in big corporate companies, and that's not something that's just completely stuck with major labels. It's music as a whole, but then also big corporates anywhere. Um, they go through periods of shift and change and things like that, and I think the part of the business that I was working in before um, had a restructure, and the marketing department was folded into another section of the label, so it made sense that I wasn't there anymore, along with some other people as well. Um, but I really, really liked my time there, to be honest with you, and I think that the experiences I had, I can never ever repeat, mm -hmm. and I'm really lucky to have had them, and some of the people I've met are like my friends for life. So. I say, when I say redundant, people go, oh my God, that's horrible. It's like, actually, no, it was a really, really nice thing to happen. It was well, you, really good timing. It wasn't necessarily something that was suddenly sprung on you one morning. Were you kind of aware oh, that no, it was going to be Oh, no, you know. Like, if you know business, you know when something's kind of not quite adding up and the dots aren't joining and things like that. So I think everyone was very aware of it. But And having been at companies and had sweeping redundancies before where I haven't lost my job, I know what the vibe feels like and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, and I think it's a really common thing to happen. I've spoken to a lot of people who started their own companies and when they started their own companies, it was as the result of redundancy. And I found that really, really empowering. So, so when I had- Kick up the ass that everybody yeah. kind of needs to go. It's a little bit what happened to me, even though I wasn't made redundant, I chose to, to you need to, to leave, and I kind of went, well, let's, I don't need to have a job right now. So I can yeah. kind of go, actually, this is what I want to do, rather than, ah. But then you're saying that, actually, the fear The fear is so important, because it kicks you back into action, and you can become really complacent when you've been doing the same thing for a long time, which I have been. 
And I'd always talk to friends about this thing and the fear. It's actually a quote from friends. Like nice. Joey Tribbiani says it. Nice. But, um, <laughs> and it's a really, really important thing. And I've encouraged friends before to move on from a job that wasn't working or something where they'd just been doing the same thing on repeat for a really, really long time to give themselves that fear so that they would feel motivated to go and try something else and take a risk without fear of repercussion. And it's really easy to do it in the situation where you've been made redundant because you also get paid off. If you I work. was going to say, were you in a, would you have been in a position to do this had you have been... No, absolutely not. So not in that sense, it's a gift off. as well. Yeah. You know, it's a gift because you get to take a minute, take stock of what you're doing with your life, work out, do you really want to do this anymore? And then when I decided, for instance, yes, I do want to do this, but how do I do it on my own terms? It afforded me the time to think about it and to really go, do you know what? Is this going to be financially viable? And how long can I take this risk for? But also knowing in the back of my head that if it didn't work, I'd be able to go and get another job at some point, I'm yeah. sure. And it would be fine, whether that job be Starbucks, Tesco's, or a music company, it doesn't matter. Really quickly then, what do you think of the music industry job market at the moment? Do you think it's... You were in a position where you were in a, an area of the business that was being downsized or it was being consolidated in a way where they were shifting the amount of work across less people. So is yeah. that, does that mean that there's less jobs going or is it just Not less really. jobs in different areas or is there more of an opportunity for, for, for freelancers? I think Going to what you're saying about there being more opportunities for freelancers, I think that the reason that I went for this mainly is because the model of music is changing. So, and it has been for a number of years, I'm not going to pretend that it's just happened this minute, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, people are moving more towards distribution models like AWOL, yep. um, there's Platoon as well and companies like that out there, but also label services companies like Cobalt where they do a bit more stuff for you. Um, Caroline is a great example of that as well, yep. um, who are part of the fiction model. Yep. Um, and it gives people more of their own rights, more control over how money is being spent, which is really, really important because I think that over the years we've heard all these horror stories about the label spent all this money, I had no idea, I could never recoup, I never made profit, but they made profit. And label services models are just that little bit more transparent and they allow the artists a lot more control. Yep. So the idea of this company is basically to plug in and help those companies as well as helping out managers because they may not always be going through a cobalt. Sometimes they might be going through something like a ditto distribution or a tune core or something like that. But we're not talking small artists with no. no money and no time. We're talking people who are quite big and sometimes people who've got a really incredible track record. But they just need a person to come on board to project manage and direct everything for them and to make sure that things are being structured in a way that makes sense for digital service partners, for TV, for radio, and all those little bits and pieces, the same way as a traditional product manager probably would, mm -hmm. um, but in a more of a service capacity. Yeah. But then that's, obviously I do a bit more than that, but that's the general bread and butter of what I do. Do you think that's where the industry's going then? It's just gonna be so-and-so services and yeah, then you I just pick and a, choose. Yeah, and I think that there's an important point with that as well in that over the years we've always traditionally chosen if you want a specific positioning job done on your band you choose a PR that can deliver that. If you want to be played on certain radio stations you choose a radio plugger who can deliver that. Why would you not choose a creative director, a digital marketing person or a marketing person who could do that? Yeah. And that's the offer that I'm trying to bring out there at the moment and that's something that seems to be working really, really well. And it means that I can pick and choose who I work with, so there's also a sort of triage stage, I guess, in the, the discussions that I'm having with people of do I like them? Do I really enjoy this music? Do I yep. want to do this? And then by proxy of that process, it means everything I work on, I actually give a shit about. <laughs> and that sounds it really helps, obvious. Doesn't it? Well, no, but it helps. But, you know, working in music is always fun and it's, you know, we're really lucky to be able to do the jobs that we do, but you're not gonna love everything that you work on, except for when you're picking and choosing the jobs yourself. Yep. And I can happily say that everything that on my well. roster, I love it. And I'm working it because I really, really, really like it. And, um, and, and you're in a position where you are picking 
clients, you're picking partners that you want to work with as opposed to ones that are given to you because somebody else has picked it, or yeah. ones that you have to because you've got bills to pay. I'm guessing you're, at a, you're not yet in a position where <laughs> that is becoming apparent. You haven't got a lavish office space. No, well, I don't ever like want to be in that position, and yeah. I think that purposely that's why I kind of see this company as staying as quite a lean boutique thing. So, you know, there are a couple of people who work with us and mm -hmm. do stuff, but I don't do premises. We've got an office space, very rarely use it, if I'm honest with you. It's really nice to have meetings and stuff. There's a boardroom that we can use and things like that. But I generally prefer to be a bit more free range with it. So we'll work from a cafe one day. People are also based all over London. And the most soul destroying thing about having a job if you're working somewhere, is having to spend an hour, an hour and a half a day commuting, which I did for years, yeah. and it's absolutely soul-destroying. So I love the idea that actually someone who's working with me can go, do you know what, today I'm going to go and work from this co-working space, or I'm going to work from home, and that's completely fine. Do you, you know, with label partners or management partners, it means that you can go and work in their office? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, there's a couple sort of, of people that I go and work in their office and just like spend the day there. How do you find it? How do you find the nomadic working lifestyle from someone who does do work in cafes and all that sort of stuff, and kind of going in and out of places, having to find Wi-Fi and all that yeah. sort of stuff? And more and more people are doing that now. Is it something that you just have to get used to? Or is there, is there a, a magic formula? Have you, have you worked out how to play the system? I think I'm kind of 50-50 because I do, I do have an office. It's just that I don't use it all the time. Yeah. So I kind of, I think that if you stay in one place for too long, you can stagnate. Um, I think it helps to keep you motivated to move around, but I think it's also a certain personality type. Mm -hmm. So there's been studies recently about this whole new you know, open plan office culture and hot desking and things like that, that people are actually struggling with that on a mental level because they're not able to develop relationships with people around them. So if you rely on your co-workers for social situations, probably it's not for you. Um, but if you're someone who's quite an independent person, you've got friends, you don't need to go and make friends with your co-workers and you're a bit more settled, I think it's quite a nice way of keeping things spicy. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> And just, turn a phrase like. But it's also it's keeping yourself inspired as well. Mm. Like if I'm sat in the same space staring at the same walls every single day, my inspiration is limited to those four walls. But if I this morning I spent the morning in Soho, I've spent the morning walking around all of those brilliant cultural signifiers. And I think I even said before we started this interview, I ran late because I got distracted by a Chinese sculpture. Yep, you, got, you, ran, you were running late because you got distracted by art. Exactly, that's the thing. And it ended up taking me so far off course. But then without those sources of inspiration, if we were just sat in a white office, I wouldn't have had that minute. Yeah. And those tiny little moments build up so much of what we do for a job because a lot of it is inherently creative, whether I'm doing creative direction yeah. or even down to digital marketing. Like if I'm just setting up some ads, having a little bit of an extra reference point for something else is really, really useful. Um, and yeah, and moreover, I think it's just nicer when the people who work with you are not limited to having to travel to one place and they can decide. Yes. Today I don't want to do that. Today I'm going to go and do this meeting. Today I'm going to work from this office. And a lot of that depends on trust. And I think that in the bigger corporate machines, trust is a very hard commodity to come by because you're working with so many people. It's also a big thing in the music industry as well. Trust, yeah. you know, the, the cliched music industry response is it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And you build up that black book via trust. Yeah. And so if you can. But trust in getting out there as well. Yeah. Getting out there and meeting people, going for a coffee, having that drink, nipping into that gig. Um, all of that stuff is all really useful and it helps you become a better professional within your space. You just have to be out there and you have to be about all the time. And not all company setups are brilliant at that. And I think that that's one of the things that drove me to want to do something by myself. So right. I've always been very lucky previously that I've not really had much of an issue with that. But then when you're looking at new companies, I was like, well, am I going to be able to go out and take a meeting? Yeah. Am I going to be able to go to a gig if I want to? Like, and how's that going to knock on to the rest of my motivation and how yeah. I feel about what I'm doing for a job?
have any experience of setting up a business before you did this? Yes, I did. So I, um, my parents are both company owners, I guess, to an extent, self-employed. Right. Um, so I've been brought up in an environment for people who are self-employed, basically, who work for themselves. Do you think that that has helped you a lot? Oh, absolutely. I think the way they work incredibly hard and they do very niche jobs. So, like, right. we're not talking multinationals here. My mum, my mum makes balloons. <laughs> Amazing. My dad does. Uh, when we were kids, he used to make children's toys like dolls' houses. Okay. And now he does kitchens and bathroom fitting and stuff like that. And. They work so, so, so incredibly hard because they love what they do. Mm -hmm. And being able to watch something like that when you're growing up is actually really inspiring. And like, it definitely drove me to be motivated to work hard anyway. And I think now just felt like the right time to do it for myself. And then on top of that, so even a few years ago, I had a management company that I ran alongside working at Universal. Yes. Um, but Bad as part head. of that, yeah. So as part of that management company, obviously I had to set myself up as a company then and I went through all the, all the motions with that. Um, initially when I started working at Universal, I was a consultant, so I had to set up a limited company to run my consultancy through when I worked at Universal. Right. So yeah, it's not something that I've had much of a sleepless night about having to do, basically. And I know for some people it's quite an intimidating process. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned at the, at the start the kind of the fear of going it alone. And I think if you're... You're just providing a service if you're doing a role that you would do in any um, employed position. That's not necessarily where the fear comes from. The fear comes from shit. I've got to set up as a limited company. I've got to make sure all my accounts yeah. are in order and all that sort of stuff. And that's, I think, from someone who has gone freelance in the past couple of years, that's the kind of the, the, the daunting bit. But you kind of go, well, guess I'm learning this as I go along. I say you just got to jump in. Like it's not easy. No. Like it's all it's really, really not easy. <laughs> but having done it before and having had a family who kind of operate in that sphere of like doing their own creative endeavours was definitely something that removed that barrier to entry to a certain extent. Um, but the one thing I would say is just go and get a really good accountant. <laughs> like it sounds like a no-brainer, but most yeah. people are frightened to go and get an accountant because of the cost. No matter how much money you're earning, an accountant will save you more money than they cost you. And you just won't fuck anything up. So yeah. just get an accountant. It's really, really not that hard a thing to do. And there are so many brilliant entertainment accountants inside London, outside of London. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't end up using them, a lot of them are very, very happy to give you advice. And I think if you're an artist as well, you can lean on your lawyer for some of those conversations. Because when you're a band, you have to set up a business too. So when I've managed yeah, yeah. artists, I had to set up individual businesses for them so that they can run their own tax. Are you still managing artists at the moment? No, no, I'm well? not. So I stopped doing that a couple of years ago just because it got too much at the same time as trying to do the full-time job with Universal. And yep. I think I'd done it for such a long time that I didn't feel like I was adding anything else. And you become friends with people after that length of time too. And honestly, just wanted to be their friends at that point. So that so was, the, all... that was uh, To Kill a King, yeah, the band. Yeah. It was just the ba that band that you were working with or was there a, a small roster? No, no, it was just them because it was, it was a... alongside a full-time job as well. So yeah. it was just them and then Ralph the singer is a fantastic songwriter and he he's just amazing, he's such a brilliant songwriter. So it was him as well for some of his songwriting stuff. And then Ben as well, who played Keys, uh, is also a producer. Again, a fantastic producer. So they're this like weird band of super talented guys yeah. who were all really, really lovely. And it just didn't feel like I was bringing anything to them properly on a professional level after we'd been doing it for such a long time. And they've been really fortunate, and also the new manager's been very fortunate to pick them up. They're yeah. working with uh, Big Life now. Okay, who, landed on their feet. Absolutely, like they do, <laughs> because they're a great band, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and they do really, really good business. And I'm so much happier just calling them my mates <laughs> than having to like chase them up on VAT. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess friendships drift away when you're suddenly going, um, why weren't you where so, I Sorry, you, you haven't submitted your receipts to me <laughs> and uh, VAT is now overdue. It's like, oh. Quite a few people I know or know of or have heard about run a 
kind of a small management entity alongside a full-time job. Would yeah. you advise it? Is it a good way of I think cutting your teeth a little bit? Yeah, I think everybody should do it, actually. Okay. I um, really, really strongly believe that everybody should have Why? a go at some point. I think it exposes you to every different area of the industry. And the other thing it teaches you is it teaches you to empathise and it teaches you to work out new ways of getting on with people as well. Like you get a lot of personalities in a band that you have to manage. Well, that's why you're a manager, right? Um, but it seems, I think when you first come into it, it's like, oh yeah, they're gonna do as I say, we're gonna play this gig and we're gonna do that. But then you have to learn to empathize with people and empathize with their creative process, mm -hmm. empathize with their goals. They might not match your goals. And I think it makes you an all round better person to do. Um, not all bands would agree, probably. Because <laughs> like, they're always the top most amazing manager. But I think that when you're starting out, if you're helping out your friend's band or something, you'll learn so much more from that experience than you would from any work experience you could ever do. That, I'm guessing that helps from what well, in any kind of creative role as well. I mean, going back to the Black Star stuff, how much of your the projects that you're working with, you are are you in direct contact with the creators? the bands themselves as opposed to the management company or the label? I mean, all of them. Yeah, so they, they've, them. Got a, yeah. Uh, they've got a say in what you're coming up with and you've they got to listen to them. They have 100% of the say. Like, there's some stuff that might not be my preference, but they love it and we go with it anyway and then I'm proven completely wrong. Do you okay. know what I mean? And I'm like, actually, yeah, that is, that is amazing, that's good. And it's you've got to trust people. They know what they want better than you do. All you're there to do is help facilitate and I think one of my friends called me a circus uh, ringmaster. Right. So I'm not the creative. I'm not writing the songs. I haven't got the idea in my head. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to draw the idea out of your head onto paper so we can translate it into something tangible. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make me the creator. It makes me the conductor of a yeah. certain thing. Um, so yeah, sometimes I don't agree with what's going out but I'll always do my best to make sure that it will be the best damn thing you'll see. <laughs> I was, I was, my next question was going to be, have you ever had to manage a situation where, for want of a better word, you haven't agreed or you've really had to get a, a, a very headstrong creator on side that just wouldn't come with you? I mean, all the time. <laughs> All the time, but that's what I mean when I say you need to learn to empathise mm -hmm. and from that, compromise as well. Because there's a reason why they feel like that and there's a reason why I feel the way that I do. You don't know the individual person's story or journey either and you need to learn to be able to find a middle ground between those two things, otherwise you'll always be at an impasse and you can't be at an impasse when you're trying to get assets made or products done. Some resolution must be found so that you can carry on because otherwise you're holding people back for the sake of what, your own ego? Yeah. That's boring, like why would you do that? So you have to find a way to empathise and just understand why somebody wants to do something a certain way, and why guess, they might feel a certain way about something. And that also helps when you're choosing to work with acts that you like. Yeah. Because you, sh you should be broadly on the same page. Yeah, like, I'd like to think that generally we're on the same page in a very broad sense. Um, sometimes my, t I, my tastes very openly are quite dark. <laughs> and, you know, but then also... She says wearing a black dress. I am just wearing complete <laughs> black. But in 29 degrees. It's nice. It's good. Look, never ever deviate from <laughs> your personal brand, right? Um, now, I only literally own black clothes. So. Fair enough. Um, and I'm really hot. But, <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean that you have to impart your own personal taste onto everybody. And that's, yep. again, what I mean when I go back to saying, like, empathise completely. Understand why somebody wants something different. They, they may understand the reason I like this is because I've just always done it and I don't really know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. But um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to force my feelings or my personal taste onto other people, but yeah. I will try and help them enhance theirs and steer it to a place that's going to help them out long term and deliver what they want it to be. You did music production. 
at university, music production and business at university? Was, I mu did, was yeah. the music industry always the goal? Yeah, well. Or when, when did you realise that mu the music industry was the goal? I think, so I got into music when I was really, really, really young. So I've got a sister who is eight years older than me. Right. And so when I was sort of under 10, she was a teenager. So she's listening to all this amazing stuff. I thought she was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Like she literally in my head as a kid looked like Shirley Manson and was like this absolute coolest person I'd ever seen in my life. And it made me follow up all the music that she was listening to and her friends were listening to. So I got into music from a really, really stupidly early age because right. I was a little bit hero-worshipping my sister yeah. who had all these cool friends and all these cool tastes and these cool T-shirts. And I remember stealing big T-shirts and things like that and then going out and wearing them. I had like a, a Nirvana bleach hoodie when I was about 10 that was like a double XL, which was basically like a dress and the sleeves were on the floor. And I loved it to death. And I followed up all that stuff. So I used to just listen constantly, pick out lyrics, write things down. Um, never been much of a music creator myself. It's right. not something I've ever turned into like writing my own songs or anything like that. Honestly, what I found more interesting was the logos on the back of the covers. Okay. So I had this thing in my head of I was so obsessed with like I wanted to go and work for like Nirvana's record label. I wanted to work for Sub Pop. Like those are the sorts of bands that I was really getting into at the time. So I was researching, where's Geffen, where's Sub Pop, like how do I get a job there, what do I do? So you wanted to move to Seattle? Oh my God, yeah, massively. <laughs> but this is obviously, this is pre-internet as yeah, well. Yeah. Well, it's not pre-internet, but it's pre-internet in my house. So, like, um, so all the research was really, really weirdly pulled together and then you just become obsessed. So I became completely obsessed. I used mm -hmm. to collect these records, collect these tapes, learn these words. Um, and then I decided off the back of that that I wanted to be a record producer. So I wanted to be the person who was in the studio making the records okay. and constructing that sound with an artist. So I guess in the sense of when I talk about empathy, that's the ultimate fall of empathy is being a producer. Yep. Um, yep. So that's what I really, really wanted to do. So I went and worked in recording studios and um, did things like making the tea, tidying up. I got to sit in on sessions with some really cool people. Um, I got into doing that job by basically going down to the studio every single day and not leaving. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> sometimes if you really want to do something, you have just to just pester sort of the like, shit out of me. you just got to be annoying. So yeah. I did that to be annoying for a while, and then I went to study music tech at college. So I did a B tech in music tech, and then I did music tech and management at university. Um, I never even imagined I'd go to university, to be honest with you, like I had no idea. Was there a particular reason why you picked the university that you did? Oh, it's the only one that let me in. So <laughs> I only got like four GCSEs. I didn't go to school very well. I was, I was a bit of a tear away <coughs> asshole kid and um, just didn't really show up, to be honest with you. Was the university bit worth it? I think it was all worth it. Yeah. I wouldn't change any of it. Like I wouldn't change not getting enough GCSEs to do my A levels because that's why I did a B tech. Okay. You know, and if I hadn't have done that B tech, I wouldn't have met. There was a fantastic tutor on my B tech course, who I was again just messing around for like the first year of it, like just not showing up, kind of throwing things around, being a bit of a dick. And then there was a point where she said to me, if you don't start taking this seriously, you're going to be stuck here forever. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and that's, that's really what kind of woke me up to it. And it's, she wasn't the first person to say it, mm -hmm. or the last. <laughs> but equally, yep. that, was the, that was the one person that seemed to just like click through at that moment and that light bulb went off. And then I started working really, really, really hard and managed to pull it up so I had enough of a grade to get into university. But again, I'd never planned to go to university before that. So I had no idea what I was okay. doing. It was just like, let's go straight in. Like I kind of imagined I'd just go and work in a shop or like a factory or something like that. Cause that's just what, what everyone did. I had no idea about going to university at the time. It wasn't something I aspired to. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really think it was realistic I'd go and work in music, to be honest with you. It was all just a bit of a laugh. It was like a pipe dream. Um, until I really started taking it seriously. And then going to university was important because I met so many of my peers there and 
a lot of them don't work in music now, but we all had the same ideal and we all had the same ideas and it gives you, I call it like a sand pit to be a dickhead. So you get this three year period where you basically just get to play around, make mistakes, yeah. do stupid stuff, come up with stupid ideas or great ideas, or like meet great people or meet horrible people. And it's like a safe area yeah. for you to do that yeah, and to ask questions. Exactly, and exactly the same mind. It's actually, it's actually quite odd to think that you were doing your music degree at a different university at exactly the same time as myself and a number of people that you know yeah. were doing the same somewhere else. Yeah. And you kind of you come out and you start off in that little microcosm and then that grows and you kind of grow together and yeah. you help each other out and all that sort of stuff. That's it. I really believe in that sort of sand pit effect. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like a safe place to play. Um, yeah. No one's going to get hurt. You're all going to be fine. <laughs> so afterwards, you did a little bit of bouncing around. Yeah, a little roles. bit. It was, and I guess that's, I mean, that's fairly standard, I think. A lot, you know, you don't really know where, you're not just going to land exactly knowing what you want to do and where you want to do it as soon yeah. as you Yeah, well I had a bit of a in. weird, so when I was at university I got an offer to go and work for a, like, um, a promoter in Nottingham and it was basically just going to be one of those sort of you do the photocopying and the shredding and you make the tea sort of jobs. Um, but after not very long, I think it was like a couple of weeks in, they realised that I understood all of the tech specs. And I'd pointed out errors, and I was like, oh yeah, you've missed this thing there. And they're like, oh, you do know what you're talking about with this crap. Um, so I ended up doing more and more and more of that, and then mm -hmm. I found myself going on, on site to festivals and tours and things like that, and working more directly with artists. Um, and I had a really amazing time doing it. Um, but I found it exhausting, absolutely, absolutely exhausting. So I did start to struggle with it, in complete honesty, because right. it's not for everybody, no. I don't think, doing live touring and being on the road yeah. um, and I think for me it was something that I just found completely and utterly draining so after I finished doing that because that was summer summer work basically yeah. um, I decided to move to London and just have a crack to be honest like I say the best way of doing it yeah I went and worked in a call center nice and saved up all the money um, pretty we, good at selling broadband it turns okay. out so. well, we did it via uh, housing benefit see I never did it <laughs> I never did it I just like I just wanted to sell broadband man <laughs> you gotta have a goal you gotta have a have goal so I sold some broadband and then um, how many broadbands did you sell do you know what I, I shit you not, I started off at this weird company thinking I would be awful at it and I was in the elite selling team within three weeks. Smug, smug. <laughs> I was so happy about that because my other mate came with me at the same time and he got downgraded. Oh dear. <laughs> Bragging like, rights, nice. Yeah, but, <laughs> so he was like, he got put onto life insurance I think which is meant to be like the really easy one because you're just ringing in at people at death's door. And um, still couldn't sell it through, bless him. Wow. But, um, yeah, we had a really, it was really, it was kind of like a dark because we didn't really want to do it, but it was also really fun because at least I had someone else to do it with and we were making money so that we could move. He moved abroad and I wanted to move to London. Yeah, yeah. So we had like a means to an end and we knew the day we were going to quit and everything. And, you know, regardless of what we were selling, we were still doing the same job. So, yeah. and we still got paid the same. So, um, yeah, and then on the day, we quit basically on the day our paychecks came in. And then he moved abroad, I moved down to London and just set about applying for every single job I could find. I didn't know anybody, because you know when earlier we were saying it's not what you know, it's who you know. I did not know no, anyone. But, but that's where everybody starts. Everybody yeah. starts from knowing nobody for the most part and then you've got to build up from there. So yeah. it's just, it's an interesting one because I think the majority of people do have that stage of that little bit of bouncing around. They're not really, they don't know enough about all the different bits of the industry. They don't know enough people. And so you do, you just go, I want to work in music. And that's that's about as far as you've got. So you, you take the one that yeah. comes along, you learn a little bit until you've you've worked a little bit more out, then you move on to the next one. And you one. go, oh, this one sucks. I don't like this bit. Or like, <laughs> that's the point of work experience. One yeah, that's yeah. the point. I mean, openly, like, doing live stuff drained me. That's mm -hmm. the thing. Like, I, you know, I think people are all built differently. I wasn't built for that. 
it didn't suit me at all. Yeah. Um, it does suit me doing more marketing-led stuff because I can be creative, but then I can also sleep at night. So yep. <laughs> it's a whole different Helps. thing. I think you have to learn a little bit about what you're good at, not just what you want, but what you can actually do as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, live touring is just not the one for me. Although it is fun every now and again to jump on the road and go and do a bit of a tour here every, and there. Every or now and again. But that like, that's the key treat. phrase there, as a treat. As a treat. Like if someone's <laughs> doing like, I don't know, South by Southwest or like some great shows in LA on it, you're like, oh, you know what, I can do a holiday. Like that's that's when you want to go holiday. touring, That's right? not a tour, that's a holiday. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> or like they're playing a great festival somewhere in Europe. You can go to that festival and then you've got a holiday out of it. But then also the experience, in inverted commas, of touring. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about your time at Universal because you were there for a fair few years. A long time, yeah. Um, what's it like in working in a major? Working in a major, basically they attract the most, I don't want to kind of be negative about other companies, but majors do tend to attract the most talented, driven people by proxy of the fact that they have such big acts, basically, and can pay a bit more money. Yeah. Um, so you're in a you're in a pool full of people who are all incredibly talented and it really 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 makes you work hard okay like you really really have to step up your game and again some people don't respond well to that but then also as a result sometimes people can be a bit more political or a bit more unpleasant than you would probably find in other sectors of the industry but then that's not that's not really a sweeping statement that's only like the odd bit here and there and I don't think I'm alone in that assessment either but one thing I do think of working at a big company like that is that you are forced to keep your game incredibly high and there is no excuse for not doing mm -hmm. well basically yeah. there's no excuse you've got the resources there the so resources are there yeah. the information is there the team is there the structure is there you have no excuse but to do the best goddamn job that you can do um, I think the downside is you don't always get to choose what you work on um, which, you know, it swings and roundabouts though with that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. there's a lot of acts that I did get to work on which were literally the most, my favourite bands in the world, you know what I mean? Like, I remember getting a, I got a credit in the Nine Inch Nails, the last Nine Inch Nails album, Hesitation Marks. Nice. And I was really cool about it in the office and then I went and cried in the toilet. <laughs> Because I'm such a big fan of the band. But had I not worked for a company like that, I wouldn't have been given the opportunity to go and work for a band of that nature or to be a part of that campaign or even dream to be credited. Mm -hmm. uh, not that you always get credited, that was just like a well, one-off thing. One of the things, I mean, with regards to the, the major record label side of things, to a lot of creators outside, who are outside of the of the label infrastructure, I guess. They'll look at majors and they look at indies and you get a lot of them who want to go the independent route. They think, you know, it's better for creativity, it's better for X, Y and Z. You're not selling I mean, your soul it to is a, a little bit, I think. Would you agree would you agree with that? Or is I would there agree. is there more nuance to to what to what the ecosystem is, to what the companies deliver? Because you've just said that the majority depends. of the really good quality staff are gonna be at the bigger company. But here's the here's the problem okay. is that there's a lot more work. Right. So you're working a lot harder. So when you're talking from a creative perspective, I do I think that the experience is nicer if you're going through someone like a consultant or an independent because they tend to have a bit more time mm -hmm. um, to talk things through. They're not as financially dependent on the constant turnover that a big company is. So I think that for a creative who's not in that corporate system, it's um, probably a bit like stepping on a treadmill that's already going really fast right. um, and that can be really off-putting and probably not the nicest experience sometimes mm -hmm. but then equally you'll find people who go to an indie and think it's going to move quicker and it doesn't so it's just different strokes for different folks okay. but broadly some creatives that I've worked with prefer working with someone who's got a bit more time and a bit more flexibility than a bigger corporate like that. Are you finding it different, <coughs> more interesting, now that you're predominantly working with the independent sector? Um, I'm finding it 
different in lots of senses. I think it's really unfair to actually just lump everybody into the independent sector because yeah. different indies work differently. It's such a big. It's I mean, such a big three like, majors, I actually really don't like, if I'm honest, like comparing the two sectors. Okay. I think all companies have got different ways of doing things, yeah. and I think, you know, I worked for Fiction at Universal, which actually acts like an indie, like it's really nurturing. Well, you know what I mean, like chilled out place yeah. to work. Whereas one of the bigger you know, hit-making companies is probably not. But then there are independents that have got fingers in so many pies that they're constantly busy and torn at the seams, as much as there are independents that yeah. are more chilled out. So I think it's company culture by company culture more than it is sector by sector. Okay. So, yeah. What are, what, what are the areas that you're enjoying working with at the moment? Is it the label services? Is it the, the bands who are kind of keeping everything in-house? Or is it the labels? I really, really like working direct with really nice and good managers. Yeah. And label services are great as well. I, is there I mean, any particular really, project that you're working really on at the moment? I don't really have a preference. Like, I think, because everyone, because as I said earlier, I'm trying to be selective on who it works with. It's like nice people or stuff that I like. Mm -hmm. Everybody's pretty sound, I've got to say. Like, everybody's pretty nice. Fair enough. And I, I hate to be like, I know it's boring when you're not like, horrible about people and stuff like that but actually genuinely there's a reason that I'm working with the people I'm working with and it's because they're all really nice people um, and they're all talented artists mm -hmm. and being able to make that choice is really important to how I want to run my business yeah um, so yeah there's not really a pref yeah it's really hard like I'm trying to rack it through my brain there's no, not really a preference there is like some I guess it's, it's, it's project to project, isn't it? Because they're all going to be slightly yeah, different. Yeah, like there is some where I have like loads and loads of banter and it's like really, really, really funny. And there are some where the stakes are a lot higher and you have to be really, really intense. But then everybody's also very thankful, grateful and rewards each other. And that's really, really lovely. So as much as it's a hardcore situation, the people are really kind around it. Um, and then there's different levels too of sometimes when you've got people who've not done it as much before, brand new managers and things like that, you spend a lot more time walking them through projects yeah. than you would with someone who's really well established where you can literally just do like the bones of your job and they're happy with it because you're not treading on their toes and you're filling the function that they need you to fill. So it's everybody is completely different and not for any better or worse in any situation. It's kind of nice to have a mix. Yeah, yeah. You spent time at Polydor yeah. and at Fiction. Yeah. What was the biggest kind of differences between two completely separately run labels within a within a large company? Um, I think it was probably time. So there's at Polydor you did a lot more in one go, but then you had a bigger team. Mm -hmm. So it kind of balances out. Right. Whereas fiction you had a bit less, but then it's a smaller team. So you had to do a lot more of stuff for yourself at Fiction. Like we had to do like a lot more of the brass tacks of things, and like I'd be like ironing someone's shirt just as much as, right. you know, powdering a face on a video shoot. You know, it's not my job. Mm -hmm. You you have to You're jump in. in. You, you know, everybody gets really really involved, and everybody's really generous with their time. Whereas with a bigger structured system like a Polydor, there are teams that do that specifically. Like who literally just do that one thing for a job. Yeah. And that's amazing. So you don't have to do that and you can spend your time doing other things. So those are the main differences, I'd say, yeah. in just like operational day-to-day -day stuff. And then I don't know how they operate now is the only thing. Do you reckon they would be different? Has it been that long? Does, 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 the, does, does, does the culture within a, a label oh, like that change yeah, they really that do. quickly? I mean, it's been a... It's been a while, <laughs> you know. Um, cultures do shift. I think it's dependent on who's running the company, mm -hmm. you know, what positions other people are in in the company. Like, it's all really, really important to your culture and your general company vibe. And yeah, it does change. Okay. So it might have been one thing seven years ago, and today it's a whole different thing altogether. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard to pigeonhole it it's like if you think of it as you know when um when you're at school and year five moves into year six and then there's a whole new year five yeah it's almost like that every couple okay. of years because the staff change and the people who are in charge and the ideas and the artists and the motivations yeah. all change as well and also the industry changes the structure changes so even recently we've just had 
videos have been added to the chart. So that means that perhaps video teams in record labels are now going to be much more heavily put upon than they were last week. Yeah. And then the structure and the, you know, that shifts again. It's like what a do you think about that? What do you thing. think about the fact that YouTube plays are going to be in the charts? Do you think that's going to help matters? Is it going to muddy the waters even more than it already I is? I think it's about time, yeah. really, because I think the waters are pretty goddamn muddy. <laughs> So I think that we need to just get as much information in as possible because I also love the fact that now we're upweighting premium streams as well because that's a different kind of listener yeah. and a different kind of market. So that makes sense. Um, let's see how it goes. I think anything that can just stop having the same one single in the top 10 for yeah. ever or the same set of tracks, it's basically untouchable for most artists yeah. who live elsewhere. So yeah, I think it's a good thing. What's the, the Black Star project that at the moment you're most proud of? Mm. Oh, that's really, really hard. There's a few. Okay. I'm really, really, really proud of the work that we've done with Dapper Banner. Mm -hmm. They've been so incredibly nice to work with, receptive to ideas, like generous with their time. The label have been a dream to work with, of course, so recordings. Uh, the management have been fantastic, Riverman management. Um, and also, we've just seemed to have looked out on every creative we've worked with, whether it be stylist, makeup, photographer, whatever, has just seemed to be the nicest person ever. Cool. And we have a brilliant content team on it as well. So every single time something goes out, I'm genuinely so proud to see it. Mm -hmm. um, I know how hard the people are working on that project and it's really lovely. How many people have you got work or are working in some way, shape or form on that release? A lot. A lot. Are we, talk <laughs> what, are we talking more than 20? Yeah, there's more than 20 okay. if you include internationals and sales teams. It's that are working huge, directly huge on that. So there's, it's, not yeah, like there's a, a lot. it's not a small undertaking or anything like that. There's no, a lot of people with, with, um, with ideas in the game and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, okay. but everybody genuinely is just a pleasure to work with and it's just a really, really nice project. And then there's things like, um, there's a project called Woos that I'm working on as well. Right. And Again, they're just really nice people, but visually their aesthetic is bonkers. It's all like yellow and black. Nice. Um, the, the visuals for this podcast. That's it, the visuals for this podcast. Um, so it's all yellow and black. Literally, I show people their Instagram feed sometimes just to show them how nice it looks. It's like them. Um, because they, they're just really, really good at their own content and okay. sharing stuff really, really well. Um, and the music's really good too. And they've put a lot of time and effort into making everything tied together really cohesively and it's all them, it's all completely them. Okay. I, I saw their first show the other week and they've spent the whole day tying dandelions to the ceiling of the Windmill Pub in Brixton. And like you do. It sounds really, really silly, but then when you walk in there and all the lights go down, all of a sudden you're like, this is insane. Like it looks like an art show more wow. than it is anything else. Um, so that's another one that I think is really great. And that's also been launched off of the label that's brand new. So it's and actually based out of Brixton at the Dairy. So my office is in Brixton, yeah. but this label's also based out of Brixton. So it's nice to work on something yeah. with a bit more of a local leaning as well. And is there anything coming up that is looking like taking you a little bit out of your comfort zone that you're especially excited about or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a new Kate Tempest record, okay. which is, by the time this podcast goes out, maybe it will be recorded, I don't know. <laughs> but um, every single thing with that project takes you out of your comfort zone. Right. Because it's such an important project. She's such an important musician and poet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's, the things that she's doing and saying are you know, going to go down in history. They'll Is that be referenced with Domino still? That's actually through fiction. Fiction, okay. Yeah. Um, and it's through Republic Records in the States, I right. think. Um, she's just like, she's a huge, huge, huge source of inspiration. I think she's fantastic. So, yeah, it'll be a challenge to do it justice. Put it that way. Like, okay, so it's actually kind of the weight of 
the art. It's the I weight guess. of the art, yeah. yeah. Like it's just it's outstanding. Like you can't there's nothing nothing compares to that at all. And from what I've heard of what the new record's gonna be, it's just again the weight of the <laughs> the meaning of it is so huge again. How can you possibly do anything to represent that right. as it should be represented? Yeah. I'm gonna have to give it a go. And I'm you'll I'm sure it'll be totally fine. I'll give it a good goddamn Better go. But again, there's a really great team of people on that too, who all get it and yeah, yeah. all understand it. And again, are just brilliant people to work with and genuinely some of the most inspiring people that you can work with, work with her. And, um, and rightly fucking so. Yeah. <laughs> cool. She's such a great artist. Best way, best way to finish, I think. Yay. Thank you very much indeed. All right. Olivia Hobbs. Massive thank you to Olivia for taking the time out to speak to me about her career and her new endeavour, Black Star London. If you're interested in checking out anything more about Black Star, please go to their website or go to her website at blackstarlondon.com. Um, alternatively, check out what she's been doing on Instagram at blackstarldn. You'll be able to see all the various campaigns that she's been working on um, there. As was mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this was recorded back in June, which means that the Deaf Havana record that she mentioned is out now. So do check it out on whichever streaming service you prefer. It's a corker, in my opinion. I've been a big fan of that band for quite some time. If you're interested in getting in touch with the podcast, please do at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Do follow the podcast at behindthebusinesspod on Instagram. And also feel free, if you really do want to, follow me on Twitter at Danny Champion. Thanks again to Olivia. There's plenty more of these still to come. Do stick around, do subscribe using whichever podcast client that you choose to. Do follow on, on Spotify. And if you can leave any comments, any feedback, please do. It's all much appreciated. Thank you very much. Speak to you later.